Israel is very important in God's scheme of things. Most prophecy in the Bible concerns the people of Israel. And the prophetic schedule that God has for the nations of this world will ultimately be accomplished through Israel. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. It seems to be a universal truth that we all want to know what the future holds in store for us and for mankind. If we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know that eventually we'll spend eternity with Him. But we also know through Scripture that the possibility exists that we in the church may be raptured before we experience physical death. That event will immediately precede a time known as the Tribulation. All this has been prophesied in God's Word, but why should we believe what we read in the Bible? Well, aside from the fact that it is the Bible, we also have to acknowledge that hundreds of predictions made in God's Word have already come to pass. In chapter 7 of Daniel, today we begin a look at some of those prophecies in the first message of a series entitled, God's Panorama of Future Events. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation of the Old Testament to the prophet Daniel. If you are new to the Bible, if you will find the Psalms that are about dead center, and if you will scan to the right, right after the prophet Ezekiel, you will come to the book of Daniel. I am thrilled to be able to come back to the book of Daniel. We had departed for a few months from it to give our Graniteville campus a chance to catch up with us. But I love the prophet Daniel for two principal reasons. Number one, he's a man of all seasons. He's a man who knows how to stand strong morally, spiritually, ethically, in a corrupt culture. And in many ways, the nation that he lives in mimics the nations of the final days upon the earth. And here's a man who stood up after one pagan king followed by another, who never once compromised his convictions. And unlike many of his forefathers, even giants like Abraham, Moses, Jacob, David, the prophet Daniel is one of the few men in all of the Scripture of whom nothing negative is written. He's in the same league with Joseph and Joshua and Nehemiah. Daniel is a man for all seasons. This is not simply what God has said. This is what God is saying to his people today. But the second reason I love to study the prophet Daniel is because when you understand Daniel, it unlocks all of the great prophetic passages of the New Testament, especially the Revelation. If you ever attend seminary, at least one that believes the Bible, you will always study Daniel-Revelation as a pair, because the Revelation cannot be understood apart from the prophet Daniel. And so we're coming into a section of Scripture that is really hard work. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like training for a marathon. The marathon will be revelation itself, but the training is the prophet Daniel, especially chapters 7 through 12. And so my plan is to teach Daniel the rest of this book. If you haven't read it recently, you might want to do so this week. And then when we are done, by God's grace, if Jesus has not come, we will teach the revelation. Now, please know the only way to understand Revelation is to understand critical passages like the ones that we are studying today. It sounds like you have found it, so I want to begin by reading the first eight verses of chapter 7. Follow along in your Bibles, 
In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, Dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. So this morning we continue our exploration of Daniel. It's one of the most exciting, one of the most popular books, and one of the most historically documented books in all of the Bible. Daniel 7 is a passage that most Bible scholars will tell you is critical to your understanding of prophecy. It's one of the most detailed, comprehensive prophecies in, of future events in all of the Scripture. We're not going to rush through it. It is too important. I'm not sure how long we'll be here. I think if I were to preach it in one sermon, we'd be here over three hours. And I think a lot of you would leave before I was done. But uh, we'll work our way through it carefully. And let me just say this. One of the sad realities of the prophet Daniel is that like Genesis, next to Genesis, it is the most attacked book in all of the Bible. And the reason is, number one, because of its miraculous nature. The fallen, unregenerate mind cannot understand the things that the Spirit of God, Paul wrote. And so they don't always embrace the miraculous. But secondly, one of the reasons the lying, liberal, lost critics of our day do not like it is because of the precise nature of its prophecies. Within the prophet Daniel are some of the most specific prophecies found in all of the Scripture. And it is one of the divine proofs that God left within the book for its divine inspiration. And so if there are prophecies that are mentioned in this book that have been fulfilled and will again literally be fulfilled in the future, then it has huge implications on a person's life. And a rebel who doesn't want God over him Rather than try to submit to the Bible, he will just argue against it. Now, I think before we get into the specifics of the prophecy, let me make some introductory comments so that we can understand the chronological setting. As you can see from this chart, the book of Daniel divides into two major sections. Chapters 1 through 6 is history. Chapters 7 through 12 is prophecy. The first six chapters are primarily historical with a little bit of prophecy in it. The last six chapters are primary prophecy with a little bit of history in it. 
Or to think of it differently, the first six chapters deal with Daniel and his personal friends, while 7 through 12 deals with Daniel and his people's future, namely the nation of Israel. Now, if you're here for the first half of the book, and it's all online and all uh, on DVD or audio for you to download if you're interested, uh, but if you remember in the introductory session to chapter 1, we met Daniel when he was about 15 years old, when he's taken captive along with his three friends and carried off to Babylon. When we saw him last time in Daniel 6, he was in his 80s. And so if you follow carefully the chronology of the book, when you meet him in the lion's den, that really is the capstone event of his entire life in many ways. And yet, when you come to chapter 6, obviously the book is not over. It's the end of Daniel's life, but there's still chapters 7 through 12. So understand that all of the events in chapters 1 through 6 happen chronologically. But there's some gaps of time in the chronology. We met him as a teenager, then we meet him in his 40s, we meet him in his 60s, and at the end we meet him in his 80s. And so the first six chapters have gaps between them. In chapters 7 through 12, while they happen chronologically, they don't all happen after chapter 6. You could take chapters 7 through 12 and put them over 1 through 6, some happening during that time frame and some of those visions happening after that time frame. And you immediately have to pick up on that when you start reading the opening verse of chapter 7. Look at it. It said, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. And immediately you think, oh, I remember him. He was the fellow who saw the handwriting on the wall. We met him back in chapter 5. And that night when Darius the Mede came in and took over. And so, again, while the, the visions in 7 through 12 happen one after another, they don't happen after the events of chapter 6. And so we're going to see that the visions of chapters 7 and 8 happen between chapters 4 and 5. After Nebuchadnezzar comes off his throne, and then uh, when Belshazzar, some of it during his life. So it's not by accident that God did it that way. And before we're done, if you're patient with me, you'll see God's rationale behind it. And so just remember, the big picture, historical, prophetical, it all happens chronologically, 1 through 6. 7 through 12 happens chronologically, but they happen at different times. So when you come into chapter 8, if you turn the page in verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king, um, the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. And again, you read that and you say, oh, this is during the reign of the same king as the guy we read about in chapter 7. And then if you look at chapter 9 in verse 1, it says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Harasuerus of Midian descent, who was made king over the kingdoms of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And you say, oh, I remember Darius. He is the Median king that night during that drunken party when Belshazzar sees the handwriting on the wall. He comes in and he takes over the Babylonian kingdom. And we studied Darius the Mede. Remember, he was the king that uh, Daniel interfaced with in the sixth chapter when he was in the lion's den. If you turn over again to chapter 10 and verse 1, notice. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel 
who, who was named Belshazzar. Remember, that's Daniel's other name. Don't confuse him with Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the pagan name Xerxes gave him. We learn that in the first chapter of the book. But you read 10.1 and you think, oh yeah, I, I remember him. He is mentioned in the last verse of chapter 6. And this is important because the vision of chapter 9 takes place between uh, chapters 5 and 6. It fills in some of the gaps. And then chapters 10 through 12 fit in after chapter 6. So I'm just going to introduce that to you. We'll go back to it. And I think it will become very clear as we work through it in the weeks ahead. So let me just say that chapters 7 through 12 are filled with visions and dreams outlining God's plan for the Gentile nations of the world and for the nation of Israel. If you remember when we came to chapter 2, the language changed from Hebrew to what? One person had it, one remembered, Aramaic, hopefully some more. Uh, the Aramaic section, remember all of the Bible is written in three languages, the Old Testament almost entirely in Hebrew with a few chapters here and there in Aramaic in this large section of Daniel in Aramaic and for a reason. Because the focus is on the Gentile nations of the world. And so the vision in chapter 7 deals with God's plan for the Gentile, the non-Jewish nations of the world. But it's still a turning point when you come to the seventh chapter. We call it the prophetic section because it moves from the third person, where Daniel describes other people, to the first person singular in 7 through 12. I, Daniel, saw this. I, this. I, that. And so forth. But then the visions that follow after chapter 7 deal with Israel. And Israel is very important in God's scheme of things. Most prophecy in the Bible concerns the people of Israel. And the prophetic schedule that God has for the nations of this world will ultimately be accomplished through Israel. And so there are people today of the so-called Reformed faith who have robbed that word from the broad uh, body of evangelicalism. Reformed theology just believed in those five theologies uh, those five statements on the wall behind you, on that stained glass, the five solas of the Reformation. They didn't necessarily believe in five points of sovereign election, and they certainly did not believe, at least the Anabaptists, that God was done with the people of Israel. So one popular Christian leader, John Piper, says, and I beg to differ, that Israel is no different from Uganda. He's dead wrong, dead wrong. And Daniel the prophet will prove him dead wrong. Now let me just say, a lot of pastors don't preach prophecy. But you cannot be faithful to teach the whole counsel of Scripture without dealing with prophecy. Some just say, oh, Jesus is coming back. Well, wonderful, we know that. But a third of the Scriptures is prophetic in nature. And you cannot teach the Word of God without teaching it. But one of the reasons prophecy is confusing for some is because they do not understand the distinction between the church, the body of Christ, and Israel. And we are going to see that clear distinction that God makes before we are done. And so some of these visions deal with the people of Israel and how God will use that nation to bring about the second coming of Messiah. Just as he used them to bring about the first coming, God came in this world through the prophecies that related to Israel where he was born in Israel. He will come back to this world to literally the Mount of Olives and he will fulfill all of the remaining prophecies through Israel. 
So that's kind of where we're at. I think it will become clearer to you as we step through it. We're going to see this morning uh, the broad panoramic sweep of Gentile nations through four empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now, when you come to the seventh chapter, you might think, well, why are we going through this again? It seems like God addressed this in chapter two. He did. And it's not because God doesn't have anything to say. God is not just giving us filler here. He is, one, underscoring the importance of these four nations as they relate to the coming of His Son. But also, there's some big differences between the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 and the dream of Daniel in Daniel 7. One was a dream by a pagan king, and it was interpreted by a man of God. This dream is given to a man of God, and it's interpreted by an angel. Now, again, let me just give you kind of an overview of the chapter, where we are going in the next several weeks. Uh, verses 1 through 3 that we will focus on today uh, deal with the introduction to the vision. When you come to verses 4 through 14, and we'll just crack the door on it today, it deals with the information that is in the vision. And then when you come to verses 15 through 28, God gives us an interpretation of the vision. So that's where we're going in the next three weeks. If you want to use your note-taking outline, we begin today with the introduction to the vision. Now, in the introduction to the vision, Daniel tells us both when he dreamed and what he dreamed. So first consider when Daniel dreamed. Verse 1 begins, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Again, going back to what we discussed chronologically, this vision takes place between chapters 4 and 5, just like Daniel 9 takes place between 5 and 6, and then uh, the remaining chapters after. All right? So, he has already introduced us to this man, Belshazzar. And in, it happens in the first year of Belshazzar, which means it happened after the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that? When Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, we studied his conversion in the fourth chapter. After he ultimately dies and goes off the scene, there's a few short kings that come to power, and their reign is very short-lived, but eventually Nabonidus comes on the throne. Nabonidus is this man's daddy. And so, for many years, the critics laughed at Daniel. They said it's inaccurate. We know all about Nabonidus. We have no historical record of Belshazzar. Therefore, the book of Daniel is in error. Again, the critics want to attack it because if it's true, if it's true it has huge implications. But then they found this little Babylonian steel archaeology, and they found this guy's name, Belshazzar. Now, Nabonidus is king number one, but if you know anything about Chaldean history, you know he was not a man who liked to stay at home. He often engaged in battles throughout the empire, but he also, throughout the empire, was involved in a lot of great archaeological projects. And so he had a co-regent, his son, Belshazzar. And if you remember, the night that Belshazzar sees the handwriting on the wall and Daniel interprets it for him, what does Belshazzar do? He makes Daniel third in the kingdom. 
Why? Because Nabonidus is one, Belshazzar is two, and Daniel becomes three. Look, the critics of this world may have the latest word, but they don't have the last word. The word of God has never, ever been proven wrong. So Belshazzar, he's going to reign for a total of 15 years. And on that night, of course, um, when Daniel sees the handwriting on the wall, he's about 65 years old. So in the first year, if you want to put out in the margin 553 B.C., that's a firm date, not just biblically, but in secular history. It is a firm date. That was the first year of this king. Furthermore, we're told, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Now, this dream and the visions that accompanied it apparently happened to Daniel at night as he lay on his bed. Now, according to the Bible, there are two specialized ways that God would sometimes communicate through his, to his people, through dreams and visions. Moses wrote in the Torah, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. So God, and you can read it throughout the first five books, spoke in visions and dreams. And when you study Scripture, you, you discern that there's a difference between a vision and a dream. A dream was given when someone was asleep. A vision was given to a person while he was awake, but it seemed like you were asleep. Well, on this particular occasion, while he's on his bed, he has both dreams while he's asleep and visions while he's awake. And of course, the question that often comes when you come to a portion of Scripture like this is, does God still give visions and dreams today? Well, let me begin with a general principle. If you feel like you had a dream or a vision from God, more than likely it's indigestion and not uh, inspiration, all right? But having said that, I would never limit God as to what He can do. In the book of Acts, the second chapter, on the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes the prophet Joel. Listen to this. And it shall be in the last days, God says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. When in the last days? When did the last days begin? According to Peter, he said, this is what Joel said, what you're witnessing right in front of your eyes, said would take place in the last days. It began on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because the Bible teaches the imminent return of Christ that there's nothing prophetically that needs to take place for Jesus to come and catch up his church. There's all kinds of prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the second coming. But for the rapture, for the catching up of the church, nothing has to be fulfilled. It could happen today if God so chooses. Now, I believe we're not only in the last days, but we are in the latter times, another term, one that Daniel uses, one that Paul uses to describe the last of the last days. In either case, since the day of Pentecost, God could give and has given dreams and vision. And it was especially important before the Scripture was completed. Before the Bible was written, even in the early years of the church, God used different people as conduits of direct revelation. You say, well, does God normally speak in dreams and visions? No. It is very rare. Most of what Israel learned, God wrote through a prophet, and God inspired that writing. Occasionally, He gave them a dream or a vision that was incorporated in that writing, but it is very, very rare, 
Even miracles in the Bible, they only happen on the great events of human history. Moses was the first one in the Holy Scripture to do a miracle. All the men who lived before him, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Isaac, none of those guys did miracles. Centuries went by until a miracle was done by Moses and shortly after Joshua as he carried him to the promised land. And hundreds of years went by and there were no miracles until Elijah and Elisha came on the scene and then God had another cluster of miracles. And hundreds and hundreds of years went by until Christ and his apostles came on the scene. And there's another cluster of miracles that is in the future during the coming of the great tribulation. But my point is, is that dreams and visions are not seen uh, consistently through biblical history. They are rare. And you shouldn't tell God how He should speak to you. And let me just say this parenthetically. You are never, ever told in the Bible to seek a vision. But you are commanded in the Bible to study the Word of God. And even if someone were to have a vision today, and in my humble opinion, I only know one man in the last maybe 200 years who I respect, who I think had a legitimate vision from God. But if God gives a vision today, it will not be extra-revelational, nor will it take away from the Word of God, as we will see later in our study of Revelation. Most of the people I meet who claim, well, God gave me this dream, and let me tell you it. They're either A, suffering from indigestion, or B, and more often than not, they are on an ego trip. And they want you to know how spiritual they are because God gave them this dream or this vision. Now, while I have never had a dream or a vision, I had the experience and have the experience that Daniel had where I'm laying on my bed at night and I've been studying a passage of Scripture, and all of a sudden, God gives me not a, not a new revelation, because no new revelation is given. He gives me an illumination. He'll take a passage I've been studying, and He brings to the forefront of my mind, and it just clicks. Oh, I see it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit serves as our teacher. What do I do? I get up, and I write down what God's showing me. Many times it happens when I'm out running, and I'm just pouring over. You know, I take a break. I study for about six hours on Wednesday. Then I go running, and I come back and study another four hours. And oftentimes it's on that run when the Scripture is running through my mind that God gives me some insight. Well, Daniel saw a dream and vision in, visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. In other words, what follows is the essence of this dream and these visions. That tells us he's not giving us every detail. He's giving us the essential points. He's giving us the heart, the summary of the message, which tells me every single word is very, very weighty. Every sentence is chock full of truth. We are getting the distilled essence according to the opening verse. Today we looked at when Daniel dreamed in the first year of the reign of Belshazzar. And tomorrow, we'll look at the content of that dream. To listen again to today's study in Daniel, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN08. Tomorrow we'll continue our look at the panorama of future events. Join us then as we search the scriptures.